Rabbi Nachum Ath with the Las Vegas Kollel. In 1891, a German farmer named Wilhelm von Austin had a horse named Hans. Now, Hans wasn't an ordinary horse. You see, von Austin had trained his horse Hans in arithmetic. Hans, later dubbed Clever Hans, was brilliant at math. You see, if you'd ask him a question in arithmetic, he would give you the answer by patting down on his hoof the correct amount of beats corresponding to the correct answer. So if you asked Hans, what's the square root of nine? He would tap with his hoof. And it was brilliant. And he would get the correct answer time after time. The media picked up on it. It was actually reported in the New York Times. Von Austin took his clever Hans, his brilliant horse, on the road and started showing clever Hans' brilliance to the masses. He never charged for it. People were skeptical. Researchers, intellectuals, they sensed that there was something fraudulent going on, that von Austin was doing something, he was manipulating the situation. So, the Hans Commission was established. There was a veterinarian, a cavalry officer, a circus manager, someone from the zoo, school teachers, psychologists. There was a commission of 13 experts that were sent to investigate to try to figure out how can a horse know arithmetic? Well, they put Clever Hans through all sorts of tests and examinations. And you know what the Hans Commission concluded? There was no fraud. Clever Hans really was giving the correct answer. There was nothing fraudulent that was happening. Hans was indeed Clever Hans. The horse knew math. How do we explain that? How does that make any sense? In the book of Divrei Hayamim in Chronicles 2, it's also found in Malachim Beis and Kings 2, we read about a fairly tragic story. One of the king's fellow named Yehoash, who started off being a fairly righteous king. He was under the influence of the Kohen Yehoyada, who inspired him and the Jewish people to do what was right in the eyes of God. And Yoash was a good king. But then Yehoyada died. And Yoash, he kind of veered off the path. And he started, you know, going down the path of immorality. And one thing led to another. And over time, the entire Jewish people had sunken down levels of depravity, immorality, idolatry. And the nation was, was sinning. Yehoyada had a son named Zechariah. And God sends Zechariah as a navi, as a prophet, to go ahead and rebuke Yehoash, to go ahead and rebuke the Jewish people, to inspire them to repent, to do tshuva, to mend their ways. But then tragedy strikes. In the book of Divrei Hayamim, the book of Chronicles 2, in chapter 24, verse 20, the verse tells us tragedy. Veruach Elohim Zechariah ben Yehoyada. Prophet Zechariah, the son of Yehoyada, he's inspired with the word of God. Vayamod me'ala'am, and he speaks from above the nation. Vayomer lahem, and he says to them, Ko'amar halokim, so says God, Lama'ata over mitzvahs Hashem, why are you transgressing the mitzvahs of God? You won't be successful. For you have abandoned God, and he's going to abandon you. But then the verse tells us tragedy. The nation conspires against Zechariah. And based on the king's decree, Zechariah is stoned and is killed. The nation isn't interested in Zechariah's rebuke, and the nation kills Zechariah. 
We find throughout the scripture many instances of prophets trying to rebuke the nation, trying to inspire the nation, criticizing the nation. This is one of the few examples where we find the nation having such a negative response, such a violent and harsh response. They killed the messenger of God. They killed the prophet. Why in this instance, compared to all the other instances throughout all the scriptures, why is it specifically over here that the nation has such a violent response that they killed the prophet, that they killed Zechariah? The Medrash says, if you read the verse carefully, the answer is right there. If you read the verse, the verse says that Zechariah, he goes and he speaks to the nation, may Allah'am, from above the people. The Medrash explains that may Allah'am, from above the people, that is a reference to Zechariah's mentality. He spoke from may Allah'am, from above the people, from a place of haughtiness. He didn't have that humility. He was speaking from a place of, I'm greater than you, I'm above you. He was talking down to the nation. And that's why the nation went ahead and they had such a negative reaction, and that's why they killed him. My Rosh Hashiva, my Rebbe, used to always point out, he said, look, if you actually study the laws, if you're a prophet, you have a responsibility and a requirement that when God gives you a prophecy, you cannot add nor subtract to that prophecy. The message that you deliver to the recipient, it must be word for word. We don't find anywhere that Zechariah violated this rule. Which means when Zechariah was criticizing the nation, when Zechariah was giving that over that prophecy, when he was giving over that message, he said word for word, verbatim, the message that God gave him to deliver to the people. So why do the people sense that he's speaking may Allah'am? In one sense, is Zechariah speaking from a place of haughtiness? The words that he communicated, the message that he communicated, those were the words of God. How does the nation see that Zechariah is speaking from a place of haughtiness, from a place of me'ala'am, from above the people? My rabbi would always point out, it wasn't what Zechariah said, but it was how he said it. The words that he said were 100% the words of God, which should have inspired, which should have motivated the people. The words themselves were perfect. However, the nation sensed not from Zechariah's words, but from his attitude, from his feelings. They were able to detect that Zechariah was speaking in his heart. He was me'ala'am. He was above the nation. He was speaking from a place of haughtiness, from a little bit of arrogance. He was speaking down to the nation from a position of me'ala'am, from above the nation. The words he said, nothing haughty about the actual words, but it was the feelings, the attitude. Such an important lesson in life. It's often when we're in a situation of conflict, when we're in a situation where we have to criticize, it's not what we say, but it's how we say it. What's in our hearts? What's in our minds? What are our attitudes? All of us in different situations are gonna have to have scenarios where we interact with someone that we care about, and it's gonna be a little bit of an uncomfortable situation. Let's say you're a boss and you need to fire an employee. Let's say you're a parent and you need to rebuke your child. Or let's say you're a spouse and you need to have a difficult conversation with your husband or wife. Those are always uncomfortable situations. And often those situations end with the party that's on the receiving end, you know, feeling negative and feeling like, oh, who is this guy? Let's recognize what the, the, the Medrash is telling us. It's not usually what we say, but it's how we say it. Our sages tell us, Dvarim hayotsim and alev, nichnasim and alev. Things that come from the heart, 
They land in the heart. And when we speak from a place of contempt, a place of arrogance, a place of I'm better than you, you can have the best speech in the world. The recipient's going to pick that up. They're going to pick it up in the body language. They're going to pick it up in how you say it. Not what you say, but how you say it. And if we want to be effective communicators in difficult conversations, we have to recognize it's not our words, it's our hearts, it's our attitude. That's going to be perceived. The recipient's going to detect. If we're speaking, may Allah, are we speaking from a place of haughtiness or contempt or from some other negative place? Or are we speaking from a place of love, compassion, and kindness? The same conversation, using the same words, can land in completely different directions, depending on how the deliverer, what's in their heart. And even though the words are the same, the recipients will pick up the body language, the nuance, something deep in your heart, they'll be able to detect where we're coming from. Clever Hans, he was clever, but he wasn't brilliant in mathematics. A psychologist spent quite a while trying to get to the bottom what was going on with Hans? The psychologist found something interesting. He noticed that if the person asking clever Hans the question, if the questioner didn't know the answer to the mathematical question, so Hans only got the question right 6% of the time. If the questioner knew the correct answer, clever Hans got it right 89% of the time. The psychologist also noticed that if you would hide the questioner from the line of view from clever Hans, Clever Hans didn't perform well. And the psychologist realized, you know what Clever Hans, you know what his skill was? It wasn't math. Clever Hans was not brilliant at math. Rather, Clever Hans was brilliant at picking up body language. You see, the questioner would ask Clever Hans, hey Hans, what's two plus three? And Hans would just start beating on his hoof. One, two, three. But as Hans got closer to the answer, Hans was able to detect Something in the body language of the questioner in anticipation of Hans being right. Something in how the questioner's eyes, his facial expression, how he moved his body, something slight, something subtle and unintentional. Clever Hans was able to pick up when at the precise moment the questioner was at, understood that Hans was at the right number of hoofbeats. And that's when Hans would stop. Hans wasn't brilliant at math. Hans was brilliant at detecting what's inside people's hearts. Animals are great at perception after all. It's a remarkable lesson. If we want to be effective communicators, if we want to be effective inspiring others, if we want to have a better time in difficult conversations, let's remember it's often not what's in our words, but it's rather it's what's in our heart. Dvarim hayyotsim and alev, words that come from the heart, nichnasim and alev, will penetrate another person's heart. How we feel, our attitudes, what we're, what's inside of our hearts when we're having difficult conversations, that's what's going to make the difference. Remember, it's not what we say, but it's how we say it.